0: Underdog Fantasy is the easiest place to play fantasy football. Draft your team with no in-season management. Get the optimal score each week of the season and have a shot at over $10 million in total prize money in their Best Ball Mania 3 contest. Head on over to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store, sign up with promo code FSE, and Underdog is going to match your first deposit up to $100. Again, Underdog Fantasy. Sign up with promo code FSE and draft your Best Ball Mania 3 team today. What's happening, y'all? Welcome inside the Fantasy Stock Exchange. Danny and Bush coming at you today with our top 12 Dynasty wide receiver rankings. If you guys have tuned in to our quarterback and running back rankings, you guys know that we're going through our top 12 rankings this week. Going through our foundational wide receivers in this video, our contending win now wide receivers, veteran wide receivers, all in their own buckets the way we have it set up in our Patreon. So if you guys enjoy this video at any point, as always, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel if you are new. We're also going to talk about some quick points on how to handle this position in Dynasty, some strategy, um, you know, macro stuff at the beginning of the video as well. But Danny, how you doing?
1: doing well doing well and yeah it's been a journey it's been a fun ride just kind of going through these detailed buckets kind of giving you as much context as possible because at the end of the day here most dynasty rankings lists won't give you that added context won't say if you're in round four would you prefer a Drake London archetype or a Devontae Adams archetype? No other resources out there truly kind of break it down in terms of what you would relatively be looking for, depending on the bucket, depending on the team you are structuring in Dynasty Fantasy Football. I genuinely believe by giving you that context, by giving you these buckets, it's going to way help your Dynasty game. It's going to way help you advance your teams to align those peaking windows, as we always talk about on the FFC channel.
0: Yeah, exactly. It totally depends on the context of your team for these wide receivers, for the running backs, for the quarterbacks. So that's why we broke it down this way. So within these top 12 that we're going to talk about, like we said, we're going to break down foundational wide receivers, uh, wide receivers that are in their prime age 25 to 28, and then also uh, win now veteran wide receivers over the age of 29. So before we get into it, as always, got to hit the intro. Okay, so as I talked about before the intro, we're going to talk about some quick points on how to handle this position in Dynasty before we get into the micro player analysis type of stuff. But the first point that we want to stress here is that quarterbacks and wide receivers in Superflex are the foundation of your team. And obviously, a foundational tight end like Kyle Pitts also applies here. You can never have too many stud young wide receivers, which is why when we're in startups, we're always going to favor a better asset at wide receiver than an inferior running back asset. You know, obviously, don't worry about filling out your roster, your starting lineup during the startup draft. You want to take the best player on the board. And typically, running backs are elevated due to the fact that they're running backs. So this position, mainly how we handle it in Dynasty, is is attacking this position early and often because that's usually what the value dictates.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because a lot of people that you see in general uh, will always say the same thing. Well, I need a running back. Should I take X running back over Y wide receiver? My answer to that is why. In Dynasty, we're, we're we're in June right now. You had your May startups, your April startups. You, maybe you're in a June startup right now. Your players are not scoring fantasy points. Why are you worried about filling out a lineup when your team isn't on the field actually getting you value, actually getting you production? Your main goal right now is value accrual, value accrual, value accrual. And if you're ready to contend, if you're ready to you know push your chips in, compete in your league, you can make adjustments on the spot. You want to buy a win-now running back, like a James Conner-Fournette archetype from last year. You can give up a 2023 20, second. You can give up, you know, a receiver and a piece to be able to make that acquisition. Once all the details, once all the uh, situation amongst the running back position itself kind of clarifies itself out. So don't worry about just forcing a running back pick. Don't worry about, you know, filling out your lineup. And as we've noticed in the, a lot of our drafts, the young plentiful uh, uh, like appreciating talent at the wide receiver position goes deep and I want as many of these guys as I possibly can
0: yeah exactly the the biggest point that we want to hammer on with this position is you can always make trades right like if yes. you're on the board and you're staring down you know Jalen Waddle versus Joe Mixon or something like that and you're looking to you know build a contending roster if you know that Jalen Waddle post startup is going to have a lot of trade value and you think you can get more than Joe Mixon, maybe you want to package Jalen Waddle, with a pick or, you know, with some other pieces on your roster to get a better running back than Joe Mixon, then make that trade when it comes time to actually feel the starting lineup, which is closer to the end of August, early September, you don't need to, you know, have your starting lineup for peace of mind's sake in June. It really doesn't matter at this point in time. It's even if you're building a contender, it doesn't matter, especially if you're rebuilding, but even if you're building a contender.
1: Yeah. And, and, and I'm glad you mentioned that because I mean, for the most part, again, unless you, you know, you're, you're locked and loaded, you're, you're a contender, and then you can make the, those flips accordingly. For the most part, it's actually in your benefit to fade uh, forming your lineup or fixing your lineup up. Because in actuality, if we're not contending, we want to tank that value of our pick. We want to inherently get a shot at a guy like Dijon Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, etc. next year. And I'll tell you what, taking a running back like that next year at that opportunity cost versus forcing, you know, a fifth round running back, a fourth round running back over an elite level talent at wide receiver is... Straight up bad process if you're taking the running back.
0: Right, and even if it's like a tier two running back versus a tier two wide receiver, like I have, if if I was on the board in the early fourth round and I have J.K. Dobbins versus D.K. Metcalf, I'm taking D.K. Metcalf. He's just way higher value to me, even though I love J.K. Dobbins and I think he does belong to go in that area of the draft. I have Metcalf rated as like an early third round type of startup pick. So again, favoring that wide receiver asset that is a better player, better asset to have than an inferior running back asset is something that I think people don't do enough of in Dynasty. They're always focused on filling out their starting lineup, filling out their roster, and that should not be your primary concern in a startup, as Danny mentioned. The final kind of strategy portion that we're going to talk about here before we get into the players is that, We are consistently deploying this offseason a one-year productive struggle because we believe it is the most effective way to build a monster in your Dynasty League, which is also the way that you win Dynasty Leagues typically is by building monsters, not by having a strong like redraft type of roster. And the way we're doing that, and we talked about this in detail in the video titled The Number One Strategy, basically, in Dynasty Fantasy Football, stacking up foundational wide receivers, quarterbacks, maybe a tight end to build out a one-year productive struggle the reason we're doing that is because of the strength of the running back classes in 2023 and 2024 and the ability that you can uh, have to stack up foundational wide receivers this year in startups.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned this because if I'm you know dictating what I deem to be a successful startup for me personally, we're going to see elite quarterback talent up the top. We're going to see a couple nice, young, appreciating wide receivers or potentially elite wide receivers if the value falls that way. And we are going to be seeing... Three to four collected picks in the next two years. You mentioned it. I think by 2024, we could be looking at a similar situation to what we saw in 2017. A similar situation to what we saw in 2020, where half of the NFL running back jobs are occupied by young players. Given the cost on the market, given the fact that other positions uh, in terms of an economical standpoint are exploding in market value, especially at wide receiver in general. Teams are going to be opting to go as cheap and young and talented as running back at running back as possible. And that's going to come with the talent in these upcoming classes. So, a little, you know, strategy point, a game theory point that I really like inhibiting is being able to stack up the quarterback and wide receiver position, collect those 2023 and 2024 picks. And then ultimately, by 2024, my running back room is going to look like Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, Travion Henderson, you know, Sean Tucker, Braylon Allen, Will Shipley, you name it. Just keep collecting those picks as possible because people are going to think right now, oh, I want, you know, um, Kenneth Walker. They want to trade up for Kenneth Walker, and they're willing to leverage, you know, a 2023-1 and a 2023 two to go up in the fourth round and secure Kenneth Walker. But if you're smart and you follow FSC, you know that that 2023 class is probably going to end up yielding a better running back prospect than Kenneth Walker.
0: As good as a runner as Kenneth Walker is, there's probably going to be a couple guys in that class with better profiles, mainly the guys that you mentioned. So uh, let's get into the micro player part of this uh, video, the foundational wide receivers tier. As you guys would have seen in the running back and the quarterbacks video, we are breaking these down ranked by age bucket because it is the easiest way to rank these players. It is very, very difficult to say, would you rather have T Higgins or cooper cup because there's they accomplish a completely different purpose yeah t higgins is going to be probably a a, you know top 15 wide receiver this year but cooper cup is going to be the favorite to be the wide receiver one and there's a seven year age discrepancy in between those guys so that's kind of the difference in those two uh players for example which is why we're breaking these down by age buckets so foundational wide receivers are defined as under the age of 25 the first guy that we have here should probably become as no surprise Jamar Chase, wide receiver from the Cincinnati Bengals, wide receiver one, fourth overall player per keep trade cut in super flex drafts right now. Wide receiver three, fifth overall player on underdog drafts right now. So both from a redraft and a dynasty perspective, very highly touted player. Top five in fantasy points per game as a rookie, 18 points per game, only 128 targets as well as a rookie wide receiver. And some people might see that as a negative. They might be like, oh, is this target's gonna go up very much? They still have T. Higgins there and Tyler Boyd. He saw his former college teammate, Justin Jefferson, see a very, very similar jump to what I expect to see from Jamar Chase this year. Justin Jefferson had 128 targets as a rookie, jumped to 167 as a sophomore player, and I really think that is exactly what's going to happen to Jamar Chase. So even if he you know, loses some of the big play appeal that he had as a rookie. I think that'll be offset by an increase in his target share. There's absolutely no reason to overthink Jamar Chase. He's an elite prospect who showed out as an elite rookie season, as good of a rookie season as we've seen since Justin Jefferson, Odell Beckham Jr., and big play threat uh, for a great quarterback like Joe Burrow.
1: And I think the underrated factor here that not a, not as many people as uh, I would expect would be talking about it, especially in the context of the Cincinnati offense, in the first half of the season, Cincinnati was a 30 passing attempt per game type of team In the back half of the year, that number rose to about 35 passing attempts per game. We don't think that that Cincinnati offense, seeing the success they had down the stretch, seeing the success of those two young star wide receivers on the outside and the success of Joe Burrow, especially coming off that slow start with that ACL injury are inherently going to be able to throw the ball more than they did at the beginning half of the last year. That split is going to be way closer to 35 per game than it was at that 30 per game spot they were at that first half of the season. You combine that with the fact that Jamar Chase is an elite-level talent, commanded targets regardless, 128 targets in his rookie year, still nothing to sneeze at. And as we know, that second-year leap for elite level talents, is always going to surface. I wouldn't be shocked if we're looking at Jamar Chase, as you mentioned, 167 targets Jefferson got last year. I would be shocked if Jamar Chase was, you know, 160, 170 target type of guy, given his level of talent. Yeah, maybe the big plays will go down to a certain degree, but if you're sacrificing a couple big plays to ultimately get a more complete type of product, I'm more than fine with that. Right,
0: and who says the big plays need to go down? It's not like he's going right? to get any worse as a player. If anything, he's likely to get better because he's uh, not uh, not a rookie player anymore. He's a wi- uh, wide receiver who was coming off of a season in which he didn't play college football also, and he just came out and lit the NFL on fire. So I'm expecting Jamar Chase to be just as good as he was as a rookie, if not probably better. So uh, Justin Jefferson, the next wide receiver that we're going to talk about again. These two LSU guys yeah. are head and shoulders above the rest of the wide receivers in Dynasty, in my opinion. Justin Jefferson, wide receiver 2, Fifth overall player in superflex drafts right now per keep trade cut. Little high on these wide receivers, I would say, just as as far as overall ranking in superflex, but still yeah. very very good assets to have. Wide receiver two, fourth overall on underdog drafts. So both of these guys very highly touted from both a dynasty and a redraft perspective.
1: Yeah, and just clarifying with Tamar Chase, uh, we did see him set the record uh, for most receiving yards as a rookie. Oddly enough, uh, broke Justin Jefferson's record from last year. With Justin Jefferson, I mean, it's pretty simple. He's come in, in his first two years, and has commanded a 26% and 29% target share, respectively, in his first two years. He has two top six wide receiver finishes under his belt, despite not even being the age of 23 yet. Two top six wide receiver finishes, not even 23 yet. You combine that with the fact that he's put up over 3,000 receiving yards in the first two years of his career. He is a superstar. And you are able, when you pick Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase, to lock up a superstar level, cornerstone level asset at the wide receiver position for the next 10 years. Imagine being able to say, hey, Devontae Adams, we're going to take you at the age of, obviously, you know, Devontae Adams' career path was different. But let's say Devontae Adams was showing the signs that Jefferson was now. Imagine being able to say, hey, yo, Devontae Adams, I'm going to be able to lock you up for the next 10 years of your career. That's basically what you're getting with Jefferson. That's basically what you're getting with Jamar Chase. You are going to be getting a perennial top five fantasy wide receiver until they hang up the cleats.
0: Yeah, it would have been like drafting Mike Evans in 2014, and he's had like nine straight 1,000-yard seasons since. Like, it's it's that type of asset that you're getting with these two guys. So I don't think we need to spend too much time on them. No. Everybody knows they're great. They are, you know, it, it's going to cost you three first-round picks if I have them on my roster, Plus, at least yeah. three first-round picks yeah. for me to trade these guys away. And I do, thankfully, have Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase on a roster each. And I feel very happy to have those guys. And me and Danny have been talking back and forth about moving uh, (laughs) Jamar Chase and Lamar Jackson back and forth. And I I, honestly, I just don't want to let go of Jamar Chase. So number three is AJ Brown. Now AJ Brown was a guy that uh, moved down a little bit in my rankings once he was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. But I, I I've recently put him right back up here. Wide receiver six right now. 23rd overall per keep trade cut, wide receiver 10, 24th overall on underdog fantasy. Despite an injury-riddled season in 2021, A.J. Brown still commanded a 27% target share, which ranked top 10 in the NFL. A.J. Brown was still top five in targets per route run with 33%, and over 40% of the Titans' air yards last year, good for top three at the position. My point, basically, is that A.J. Brown did not get any worse at football when he was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. If anything, his outlook is even better long-term because now he's insulated with a high paid wide receiver contract tethered to an offense that I think is on the rise right now. And the other thing that's really important to know about the Philadelphia Eagles is because initially you look at the Eagles, they ranked bottom uh, in the NFL. They were 32nd in the NFL in total pass attempts last year, but the Philadelphia Eagles is an ultra run heavy offense only passed the ball 51% of the time in neutral game scripts. It should do nothing for AJ Brown's value because Tennessee their pass rates since 2019 when AJ Brown has uh, was drafted 51% 50%. And 52%. So it's basically the same. It's not like he's going from, and I've I've mentioned this before, the Buffalo Bills, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Kansas City Chiefs that throw the ball at will. He's going from a run-heavy offense to another run-heavy offense. And he was wide receiver six in points per game in 2020, competing for targets with a top 30 wide receiver in Corey Davis and a top 12 tight end in Jonu Smith. So it's not like he's not ever had target competition in his career either. Not to mention that the Philadelphia Eagles ran a top five pace of play offense last year versus 21st-ranked offense in pace of play for the Tennessee Titans. So there's a chance that even if the pass volume is similar, that the Eagles run a lot more offensive plays, and uh, as a result, A.J. Brown is more productive uh, from that perspective. So when A.J. Brown was traded, in my opinion, I probably reacted a little too harshly moving him to wide receiver five, and I'm sure a lot of people have moved him down a lot further than that. He's back to my wide receiver three in, in dynasty. He's the only guy that I would rather have in the you know top 15, top 18 overall picks outside of the top two LSU guys.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't mind it. I do think, though, uh, this three to five range, we'll, we'll get into, is very fluid. I mean, you want to have, you know, CeeDee Lamb at three. You want to have T. Higgins at three. You want to have A.J. Brown at three. I'm not going to bat an eye, whoever you choose. I will say, though, I mean, A.J. Brown, star-level talent, superstar-level talent, gets traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. Everybody's first reaction was, oh, this is bad. Why is it bad for him? Can, can we explain that? Like, if Jalen Hurts proves to be a worse real-life quarterback than Ryan Tannehill, the Eagles have enough ammunition to fix that problem. And and the inverse, if Jalen Hurts proves himself, they have more capital to be able to build this team and build this offense into what could possibly be one of the top five to eight offenses in the NFL. So with A.J. Brown, we know the elite talent is there. We know the situation realistically either stayed the same or potentially even got better for the long-term outlook, and he just got locked up to a long-term deal. It makes no sense why everybody just you know, reactionally dropped him. I mean, if, if you drop them out of your top five to begin with, you don't deserve to be ranking dynasty wide receivers, to put it simply, because the talent is there, the, the youth is there, the age is there. Everything on A.J. Brown's side is there for him to succeed. I don't understand the discourse on him. And the fact that in underdog, I mean, you guys would have seen the ADP. He's currently about, you know, a two, three turn type of pick just because of a situational difference. This is a guy that was going in the mid second round last year. And now you're getting him for a slight discount, despite relatively having such a similar situation you mentioned in terms of pass rate since 2019 for Tennessee versus the Eagles last year. The underrated part of that is that was the Eagles last year prior to getting freaking A.J. Brown. We expect. With A.J. Brown, especially given the first half of the season that the Eagles showed on display, the Eagles are going to be able to throw the ball more. Again, first in neutral game script uh, run rate to uh, the tail end of the season last year. They were running the ball, running ball, running the ball because quite simply, that's the offense that was working for them. We don't think that A.J. Brown getting added to this offense, showing the inclinations that they wanted to implement at the beginning of the season, is going to take effect on their overall passing output.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think it also indicates more trust in their quarterback too, because it's yes. a second year in a new system for him. Third year as a overall NFL player, second year as a starting quarterback, they're probably going to let Jalen Hurts throw the ball a little bit more than they did in the past. And I'll talk about that with T Higgins as well, once we get to him, but I'll let you take it away with our wide receiver four, <laughs> foundational wide receiver. He is your wide receiver three, my wide receiver four. I did move him ahead of T Higgins as well. So um, CD lamb, wide receiver from the Dallas Cowboys, wide receiver three, off the board, uh, in startups right now, 12th overall, so about a, a one-two turn pick in startups. Wide receiver six, 13.7 on underdog drafts.
1: Yeah, and uh, with with C.D. Lamb again, is he you know getting getting a little bit of a disappointing label amongst a lot of people? Sure, but he still had two top 24 finishes in the first two years of his career. Again, everybody kind of expected him to be where Justin Jefferson is right now. So the fact that he's not there, everybody's like saying, oh well, what's going on with C.D. Lamb? But he still had a relatively solid start to his t- career. 23 years old, two top 24 finishes. But I do believe that his talent and the opportunity coming his way dictates to me that there's another step that he's capable of. Again, we'll break down a lot more of the personal situational circumstances of a lot of these guys in the redraft videos coming up. But for me, I mean, when it comes to Lamb, the the main argument I have is the change in offensive philosophy that is going to come its way with the ultimate removal of Amari Cooper. I understand again, you, if you're arguing just straight vacated targets, so Amari Cooper out a hundred plus vacated targets, that is not the way to actually evaluate it. The way I evaluated it is losing in alpha, you know, number one style wide receiver on the offense is inherently going to change the philosophy of the Dallas Cowboys. Understanding that CD lamb is one of their best offensive players and they will put him in positions to be able to contribute like that. We saw last year, he was kind of hamstrung into, you know, a slot role he didn't really get to develop on the outside, didn't really get to get that full allotment of snaps, as you guys will see again in that redraft video. We have already heard rumblings. We have already heard reports that this is a player that the Cowboys want to get in the game at all facets of the game. They want him on the flanker. They want him in the slot. They want to be able to utilize them as their number one weapon. And despite having, again, that relatively disappointing season, I mean, he still commanded 120 targets in the 15 healthy games realistically that he played. It says he played 16, left at halftime against KC, left at halftime week 17 when the Eagles and Cowboys played in a meaningless game. So with CeeDee Lamb, I mean, we're talking 120 targets last year. We're talking about a change in philosophy from last year to this year, and we're still looking at a 23-year-old uber-talented wide receiver. He is quote unquote, the riskiest projection, I would say of this tier, you know, between Higgins, Brown and Lamb, given the fact that Brown and Higgins have kind of shown that sustained target share uh, last year that Lamb didn't. But with Lamb, the way I'm kind of looking at it is that he's got that clearest path to potentially being the unanimous wide receiver three by this time next year. If he performs to the level of output, I do think he's capable of.
0: I think we've actually seen a trend of like third year wide receivers becoming yeah. top five options. The last few years we saw it with Debo Samuel last year, two years ago, it was Calvin Ridley three years ago. It was Chris Godwin. I think CD lamb's the next guy on yeah. the, on the board. It, it's pretty hard. And I'm not even like Danny's the Cowboys fan. He loves CD lamb. I'm all, I'm going to be all the way in on CD lamb from a redraft perspective this year as well. Like Danny said, 23 year old wide receiver tethered to Dak Prescott. It's pretty hard to ignore the fact that he's going to be one of the most uh, valuable dynasty assets that there is at the wide receiver position. So um, enough on CD lamb, let's move on to T Higgins, wide receiver, 5, 22nd overall per keep trade cut. Absolutely phenomenal value. I've seen him fall into the mid and late third round, which is ridiculous wide receiver 11, 24.6 on underdog fantasy. Um, With T Higgins, I mean, the elephant in the room is that he has to compete for targets with Jamar Chase, who's our wide receiver one in Dynasty. But as a second year wide receiver still competing for targets with Jamar Chase, he finished top 12 in fantasy points per game, top 10 in yards per route run, top eight in expected fantasy points per game based on his usage. And he only had 110 targets last year. I think we're going to see an increase in pass attempts for this Bengals offense like Danny already talked about, because. Joe Burrow proved his elite quarterback prowess last year. And the most recent example that we have of an increase in pass attempts because of a quarterback getting better is Josh Allen. The Buffalo Bills in 2018, before Josh Allen was the elite quarterback that we know him to be, or 2019, sorry. 513 attempts in 2019. 596 attempts in 2020 once they got Stephon Diggs and once Josh Allen took a step forward. 655 attempts last year in 2021. When you have an elite quarterback, coaches understand that you need to put your the ball in the hand of your best player. And that is Joe Burrow for the Cincinnati Bengals outside of big Ben last year, the top quarterbacks and pass attempts were all elite quarterbacks, Tom Brady, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and Dak Prescott led the league in pass attempts outside of Ben Roethlisberger being into that mix. The passing offense will funnel through Chase and Higgins for the foreseeable future. So semantics aside, like I kind of just talked about, it's easy to bet on T. Higgins simply because he's a great talent with a top 12 wide receiver season under his belt already, tied to a great offense and a great quarterback.
1: Uh, I I talked about it with Chase, but the second half of the year, we did see them inherently throw the ball more about 35 attempts per game. Higgins was a about 24, 25% target share receiver down the stretch. If you were again, you can't, you know, take per game splits and extrapolate them across the season, but 35 attempts per game from that Cincinnati passing attack would equal 595 passing attempts on the season. If we're allotting, you know, Higgins for that 24, 25% target share we saw down the stretch, again, that's a little optimistic. I would say this is a ceiling projection. But if he was able to get to that 25% target share on 595 passing attempts, That would be 149 targets. We already get elite talent. We're already getting, you know, a budding superstar level type of player. If he got 149 targets uh, next year, we'd be talking about legitimate top four, five wide receiver in fantasy period. I think T Higgins, I mean, obviously again, 149 targets, probably his ceiling, but why can't he get into that 130, 140 target range?
0: Yeah. And that's assuming Chase has 160, 170 targets. We could see a similar situation to, Um, the Steelers a couple years ago when, when Juju had like 160 targets and AB
1: had like 180 targets, but both of them had over 1400 yards. Both of them were top five wide receivers in fantasy. I think that you hit the nail on the head. That's probably the best comparable type of situation in terms of two alpha level wide receivers on the same team. Oddly enough, again, if you guys follow FSC, that's probably the, uh, the most Juju praise you'll ever hear from us, period. (laughs) Yeah,
0: for sure. So uh, like you said, those are like the top five consensus foundational wide receivers. This next guy definitely would have fit into that top five tier for us had the team that he plays for not traded for Tyreek Hill, but Jalen Waddle wide receiver from the Dolphins wide receiver seven off the board 26th overall per keep trade cut. So about an early third round pick wide receiver 1535 overall off the board on underdog fantasy.
1: Yeah, and I mean, with Jalen Waddle, it's simple to me. Again, 25% target share as a rookie and wound up with a top 15 finish at the wide receiver position in his first year. That's just simply rare. So right off the bat, I mean, you're already talking about a 23-year-old receiver with that type of talent, that type of finish already under his belt. He's going to be high in dynasty regards. And the main caveat, the main elephant in the room that a lot of people have is that his immediate ceiling will be lowered with that Tyree Kill trade But, again, Waddle is still a phenomenal talent. And as we know in Dynasty, as we're going to keep harping, as we're going to keep saying, in Dynasty fantasy football, we buy talent. We don't buy situations. In redraft, you know, you want to weigh situation as a deciding factor. If you want to, you know, use situation to decide between players, sure. In redraft, I'll allow it. But in Dynasty, your main goal should be collecting talented players because ultimately, as we've seen in years Talented players will always emerge. Talented players will always step above the pack. And with Jalen Waddle, I do believe that he could potentially be a star to superstar level talent at the wide receiver position. And the funniest part about Jalen Waddle's rookie season is that, to put it simply, his usage compared to what his prospect profile would indicate couldn't have been more opposite. In In college, he was this dynamic big play receiver that didn't rely upon targets that would ultimately just... Produce big plays like nobody's been this, you know, similar to what Jamison Williams kind of did on the scene this year as a rookie or uh, as a prospect. Jalen Waddle did it on the back of a Jarvis Landry-like role for this Miami Dolphins team. 140 targets, wasn't really crazy efficient, but he produced in fantasy and produced in a big way. I do believe that despite, you know, having that role be the, you know, dictator of his success in his rookie year, it's nice to see the rookie command targets. And as we know, given his lateral movement ability, given his elite speed, given his potential usage in a Mike McDaniel offense, I think he goes back more so to his roots than he does in his rookie season. He already showed the ability to command targets. Now, if we can get that mixed in with some big plays, with some big yak, with some, you know, 10 plus touchdown type of luck, which J- Jalen Waddle, I believe, is truly capable of performing in fantasy football, we could be talking about a player that long term as a top ten type of wide receiver for the next six seven years at the ripe age of twenty-three.
0: Yeah, exactly. Semantics aside, I, I do think Mike McDaniel helps Jalen Waddle's case. I think he's going to be used a little bit less, you know, predictably the way he was used last Jarvis year. Jarvis Landry. And yeah, they can use him in more variety of ways. They can use him and Tyree kill interchangeably because they have a similar skill set. So yep. Um definitely love that for Jalen Waddle. But again, the, the important thing is especially at wide receiver By talented players, 145 targets for a rookie wide receiver does not grow on trees. It doesn't happen very often. He out-targeted Jim R. Chase last year. Like, it it just doesn't happen very often. And Jalen Waddle is a talented wide receiver. The situation could change. We don't know what's going to happen a year from now. We don't know if Tua becomes a great quarterback. We don't know if they trade for Kyler Murray a year from now. We have no idea what's going to happen at quarterback in Miami a year or two from now. All we know about a year or two from now about Jalen Waddle is that he's still going to be a talented player.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the, the Kyler Murray thing because I mean, like, nobody really is talking about it much, but the Dolphins have showed interest where if they're, like, you know, if Tua doesn't work out, like, they've implored the quarterback market. Can, can we just basically contextualize right off the bat right now, Kyler Murray in that offense with that speed on the outside? Like, we'd be talking about a top five in offense, uh, offensive football, period, no questions asked. And, uh, you know, we're not going to project based off that assumption, but if that were to happen, I think Jalen Waddle would realistically have a locked and loaded case to be a top five dynasty wide receiver easily
0: I think we need to start working that into our analysis more that the NFL trade market has changed in recent years where if quarterbacks have bad seasons superstar caliber quarterbacks they're they have a lot of leverage to be able to get themselves out of those situations and guys like Aaron Rodgers Kyler Murray people like that could be available this time next year we have no idea we really don't know what's going to happen with players like that so Um, we have to keep that in mind when it comes to, and it kind of just reinforces the the buy talented players thing because situations change. It's called the NFL, you know, not for long league for a reason. And speaking (laughs) of not for long, a guy whose situation is weighing him down right now, DK Metcalf, wide receiver from the Seattle Seahawks, wide receiver, eight, 27th overall per keep trade cut. I have seen him fall way past that before. Wide receiver, 19, 43 overall on underdog fantasy, which is fucking ridiculous. Are the Seahawks going to be good this year? No, probably not. I highly doubt it. Even if they sign... You know, Jimmy Garoppolo or Baker Mayfield, if they get cut, they're still going to be a bad team. Is DK Metcalf still an elite physical specimen who has an elite target share over the first couple years of his career up for a contract extension, which is also an underrated part of why I love him in Dynasty? Damn right. Either way you slice it, Metcalf is going to have one of a couple scenarios play out. He's either going to have a rookie quarterback in 2023 because the, the Seahawks are going to stink, or he's going to get signed or traded somewhere else because the Seahawks are fully rebuilding, fully tearing it down. Either way you slice it, Metcalf is going to be more valuable a year from now than he is right now. Because Metcalf, one thing we know about him, top 10 target share last year, wide receiver who ranked top three in the NFL in deep targets, top 12 in red zone targets. He is the definition of high value volume. He hasn't. It, he doesn't have Russ that's throwing that volume anymore, which definitely hurts his profile. But a wide receiver two type of season this year and still only 24 years old is easily one of the biggest values in Dynasty right now, especially a one-year productive struggle if you're deploying the get your foundational quarterbacks and wide receivers grab your running backs in the in the 2023 and 2024 classes dk metcalf is the perfect player to grab for that
1: kind of format if dk metcalf got traded to the to the packers tomorrow he'd be a top five dynasty wide receiver
0: he would be wide receiver three and it it, it would be a tier break probably
1: well yeah yeah. i mean we're we're looking at it right that's why you buy talent over situation because dk metcalf I don't care if you're a Seahawks fan, if you hate the Seahawks, whatever team you support, I don't care. Whether you're a DK fan, whether you don't like DK at all. DK Metcalf is one of the most physically imposing, talented wide receivers in the NFL. The main detriment to him is Seahawks situation. Worst case scenario, you deal with one bad year of Seahawks quarterbacks and they end up bringing an upgrade next year, which quite frankly, I mean, people are really, really overstating the impact that the transition is going to have on DK Metcalf's overall standing. DK Metcalf is going to produce regardless of who was throwing him the football because that's the level of talent that we're dealing with with DK Metcalf. If you can get DK Metcalf, again, I've seen him go, you know, tail end of the third round in Dynasty Startups. Realistically, again, if he had a better situation, this would be a late second round pick and nobody would overthink it.
0: Yeah, exactly. He was still getting the targets and he actually scored more touchdowns with Geno Smith last year than he did with Russell Wilson. So, Um, yeah, quarterback situation aside, I'm not concerned about DK Metcalf whatsoever. And even if I am concerned, it's probably more so from a redraft perspective, which he's still a huge value in, by the way, because getting him in the fourth round of redraft leagues is still a complete joke to me. He should still be a third round pick, regardless of if Baker Mayfield or Jimmy Garoppolo or fucking Drew Locke is playing quarterback for him. So, uh, the final foundational wide receiver, this guy is actually tied for our wide receiver 12 overall. So him and Deontay Johnson and the wide receivers in their prime bucket, uh, round out our top 12, but I'll let you uh, take it away with Drake London.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of similar to me or simple to me. I mean, uh, we, we do see him right now. Wide receiver 12 34th overall and keep trade cut wide receiver 33 68th overall and underdog fantasy in his rookie season. But he is kind of, you know, I, I outlined it here, kind of similar to the case I made for Brees Hall, right? Where he checks all of the boss uh, boxes that we look for from an oncoming uh, wide receiver prospect in terms of potentially being a future fantasy stud. You kind of outlined it in his tail of the tape. I mean, you've been the Drake London guy basically all offseason. You love Drake London. He was your wide receiver one. So you basically know the bull case. But just for reference, if you guys want more detail on that, tail of the tape, Corey did a phenomenal job breaking him down. But the simple stuff. He commanded 119 targets in the eight healthy games he played last year, has a sterling, sterling, like spotless type of analytical profile, and just went eighth overall to a team with quite literally myself and Corey as presences in that wide receiver room other than kyle pitts drake london has the opportunity to command and smash from a target share standpoint on that atlanta falcons team if london has that type of rookie year that i think he's capable of we're talking maybe an 80 plus reception 1000 plus receiving yard type of rookie year he is going to be an early third round pick in dynasty drafts by this time next year he is the perfect example of an appreciating asset. If you were to tell me next year that he's heralded and you know, the T Higgins, CD lamb, AJ Brown range, I wouldn't bat an eye.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I think early third round could be even like a a conservative projection. Cause if he is, I mean, he's, he's literally going to be like barely 22 years old this time next year. So if he has a great rookie season, if he has, like you said, 1100 yards and six touchdowns with a terrible quarterback or something like that, would it shock me at all? If he's the consensus dynasty wide receiver three this time next year, not a, not a fucking, a a little bit I I would be expecting that if you had that kind of rookie season to be honest so uh yeah Drake London definitely worth a pick in the you know fourth round that you're getting him right now especially if you are like we said building out a foundational wide receiver core productive struggle for a year and then filling out your running back course in the future draft classes so we'll try and speed it up for the uh, wide receivers in their prime and the veteran wide receivers but we have three wide receivers comprised in our top 12 wide receivers overall in their primes right now so they are either 25 years old uh, 26 years old or 27 or 28. So they are within that age range. They're in their primes of their career, which is typically when wide receivers peak. Their production usually peaks in this time. The number one wide receiver in this category is Debo Samuel. Debo Samuel, 26 years old, wide receiver for the San Francisco 49ers, wide receiver nine right now off the board, 28th overall per keep trade cut, wide receiver seven, 17th overall on underdog fantasy. The best place that Debo Samuel can be long term is San Francisco. So the only concern that I really have for Debo is his long term extension kind of talks. The Swiss army knife role that he uh, occupies in that offense is the best way that he can be deployed, in my opinion. Yeah, he's a great wide receiver, and if a team traded for him and just used him as a wide receiver, I'm sure he'd be fine. But if you have Debo and Dynasty like I do, I am praying that the Niners extend this guy, pony up a huge contract for him. They know how to deploy him the best. Borderline historic efficiency last year as both a runner and receiver en route to a top three finish. I'm basically simply betting on the uh, the ability, the talent with Debo Samuel is too undeniable. The most talented player in the NFL with the ball in his hands.
1: Yeah, I mean it's funny for me with Debo because I feel like I've gone like full circle with him this off season. I I'm going to apologize to you guys that were, were looking at my rankings. Quite frankly, quite frankly, when that trade rumor stuff, when that you know volatility stuff, that situational stuff kind of happened, I dropped him a little bit too low. When you actually look at the player that Debo Samuel is, people are going to say, oh, gimmicky offense. You know, he gets crafted his yards, you know, Mickey Mouse scheme. Do you actually watch the guy play, if you actually look at those advanced stats, those efficiencies that you said, this is a guy that wins in all three levels of the field. He is, to put it simply, an elite level wide receiver. And typically, as I said, you buy talent, not situation. I don't care where the hell, you know, if Debo Samuel stays, if Debo Samuel uh, gets traded, wherever he goes, he is going to still be an elite level town. And at 26 years old, honestly, like I have a wide receiver six. If you want to argue him higher than that, I wouldn't bat an eye.
0: It's not hard to squint and, and pretend that Debo Samuel is the third best wide receiver in Dynasty right now because he is still young. He's not old. He's 26 years old. He's gonna have, you know, three, four more years at least of high level production left in the tank, especially if they use him more as a wide receiver to preserve his career a little bit more. I hope that the the 49ers pay this dude because he deserves to get paid. And once he gets paid, I think he will ascend a little bit in the the general market value area because he's currently going off the board as wide receiver nine right now. Both of them have both of us have him as our wide receiver six and i think if he gets extended by the 49ers he'll probably be consensus top 5 wide receiver.
1: Yeah, no, i i fully agree and again this time next year if he has another top 5 level wide receiver season, uh a he's like if you're a contender he's the perfect piece cuz he is kind of getting valued like he's i don't even know cuz he's like the perfect blend of a win now productive receiver while still having that longevity and at the back end of the 3rd round or the mid end of the 3rd round whatever it is right now that he currently goes. Yeah, I'm I'm fine with that. Go go for it. If, if people are gonna let that lingering situation with San Francisco affect this guy's value, I'm scooping. And again, I, I I'm willing to buy into him in Dynasty, especially if you know the owner in your league is scared about his situation, is willing to sell at maybe you know eight, 80 cents on the dollar, 90 cents on the dollar. I would look into getting him.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So let's move on to the next guy here. Another guy that um, another talent Trump situation type of player. DJ Moore, wide receiver from the Carolina Panthers, wide receiver 15, 45th overall per keep trade cut, wide receiver 16, 36th overall per underdog fantasy. DJ Moore just signed a lengthy extension for the Carolina Panthers this offseason. I'll uh, let you take it away with his outlook.
1: He is the most talked about dynasty asset on Twitter, period. For those of us who look at usage, who project long-term, who project talent long-term, we are all in on DJ Moore. For those that are looking at immediate return, or returns, for those that are looking at the situation, they are off of DJ Moore. DJ Moore's target shares in the last three years, so 2019 to 2021, he was able to put up a 24.3% target share in 2019, 246 in 2020, and then stepped to a near 29% target share in 2021. But he doesn't score touchdowns. Right? We, we, we don't care. He doesn't score touchdowns. He's never going to be useful in fantasy. 23.5% target sh- or touchdown share in 2019, 25% tar- uh, touchdown share in 2020, and a 28.5% touchdown share in 2021. It's not that he doesn't score touchdowns, it's that this fucking Panthers offense doesn't have a quarterback that can throw for over 20 touchdowns. Obviously, we can't do this realistically. You know, we can't, you know, give it an apples to apples comparison because this is just not how everything works. This is not how a situation works. But let's just say, you know, DJ Moore was on the Rams and he was posting these percentages that he did last year. 28.4% target share last year on the Rams on 607 pass attempts would have netted him 173 targets and a 28.5% touchdown share would have netted him 11.7 touchdowns. As we know, the Rams before last year were a Jared Goff-led team. Is Jared Goff better than the current situation at quarterback that the Panthers have? Sure, but who's saying that another terrible quarterback year from the Panthers, the Panthers don't go out and look for a stud veteran quarterback. If DJ Moore got a stud veteran quarterback, you know, a Matthew Stafford-like, maybe, you know, a similar situation that would happen with Russell Wilson this year. Maybe they want to pay up for a guy like Kyler Murray. There's a lot of options available for them to eventually make that quarterback upgrade. And when they do, again... You can't teach 173 target potential. You can't teach near 12 touchdown uh, potential given the shares that DJ Moore has shown on his own offense, all while still being 25 years old. If you are not smashing DJ Moore, anytime he gets into that back of the fourth, fifth round area in your dynasty drafts, you're not playing dynasty the right way. We chase talent. We don't chase situation. Yeah. Is DJ Moore's redraft situation a little murky Given the quarterback situation at the Panthers have? Sure. But long-term, we know that talent will prevail. And as soon as the Panthers get a quarterback that can actually throw the freaking football, we're looking at a top-five wide receiver in fantasy.
0: Yeah, and hopefully—I mean, maybe maybe DJ Moore gets traded, too. We we have no idea what's going to happen there. Um, DJ Moore is—he's just DeAndre Hopkins all over again. Like, DeAndre Hopkins was a great wide receiver, had productive seasons. Once Deshaun Watson got there— DeAndre Hopkins went nuclear, right? There's a chance that the Panthers have a rookie quarterback starting next year. Maybe it's Bryce Young. Maybe it's CJ Stroud, somebody like that. We don't know. Like you said, Kyler Murray, Aaron Rodgers, a disgruntled veteran of some kind, could be available for the Panthers to make a move on. We like we know that if, if Deshaun Watson had gone to the Panthers or if Russell Wilson had gone to the Panthers, because we know they were in on both guys, nuclear. DJ Moore would have been a top five dynasty wide receiver. And we saw the first four or five games of last year when Sam Darnold actually looked like a competent quarterback, DJ Moore was lighting the NFL on fire. So he has the ability to be an elite fantasy wide receiver. He just needs somebody who can actually throw the fucking football. Maybe it's Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe it's, you know, somebody that's going to be available. That could be an upgrade on their current situation right now. I really hope for fucking Pete's sake that he doesn't have Sam Darnold as his quarterback this year.
1: It just baffles me again. When I was looking through the last few years for DJ Moore, just how incompetent the quarterback situation has been. Again, you can make the case that there's other elite talent wide receivers with bad quarterback situations. I'm looking at you, Terry McLaurin, uh, for the past few years. But with DJ Moore, I mean, how has he never had a quarterback in the last three years throw for over 20 touchdowns? Like 25 touchdowns should be a baseline if you're an NFL starting quarterback. Carson Wentz threw for like 27 touchdowns last year, and Carson Wentz stinks. Yeah. So, I mean, the fact that he had his quarterback room combined for 14 passing uh, touchdowns in 2021, yet people are using, oh, he only scored four touchdowns as validation for why they're off of DJ Moore. Don't look at the raw total. Look at the actual share of the touchdowns he had. How's he expected to score more than four touchdowns when his quarterback room is legitimately only throwing for 14 on a season in a 17 game season?
0: Yeah, that's cheeks. That's literally less than one a game. So um, let's move on to Deontay Johnson, who's the final guy of this tier. Wide receiver 16, 48th overall per keep trade cut. Wide receiver 18, 39.5 overall on underdog fantasy. Like I said before, Deontay Johnson and Drake London are actually our wide receiver 12 and 13, but I have... Uh, London at 13. You have him at 12, ironically, because I was the London guy. <laughs> and then I have Deontay at 12 and you have him at 13. It's kind of just a discrepancy between, you know, it's hard to compare those guys. One's a win yeah. now, one's a rebuilding type of guy. Top five target share in the NFL last year. One of the best route runners in the league. As much as I think Kenny Pickett stinks, uh, Deontay Johnson should be relatively safe as an easy target for Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett yeah. had Jordan Addison, carry his ass for, for the final season of his college career. I think Deontay Johnson can carry his ass in his rookie season.
1: Oddly enough, you know, you're getting a, like a relatively similar archetype in terms of the route running, in terms of the ability to get open. Deontay Johnson is just somebody that Kenny Pickett is going to fluctuate to because of that presence that he had with Jordan Addison last year. If you were to make the case of any wide receiver in this wide receiver core being the quote-unquote most like Jordan Addison, it would be that elite separator. He has the outside there with Deontay Johnson. I'm not worried about situation. Deontay Johnson's proved last year with uh, the corpse of Big Ben. He was still able to be a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy football. And people are kind of just valuing Deontay Johnson as this is a negative. Oh, well, Kenny Pickett's a rookie quarterback. You know, Big Ben was a a grizzly veteran. Like, his value is going to go down. Why? Are we we 100% positive that Kenny Pickett's going to be worse than Big Ben? I think at worst, it's a lateral move. Possibly a positive. Maybe we're wrong on Kenny Pickett. Maybe Kenny Pickett is a solid NFL quarterback. At least we have that in the realm of possibilities. We didn't have that for the corpse of Big Ben last year. His arm was shot. He had no mobility. He couldn't extend plays. At least with Kenny Pickett, maybe you know you're getting more time to be able to develop some big big plays, especially for a guy like Deontay Johnson, who can get open on all three levels of the field.
0: Yeah, and maybe it's like if Mac Jones was the quarterback for the, the Steelers last year, Deontay Johnson would have been a lot more efficient than he was. Um, maybe maybe Kenny Pickett comes out and has like a Mac Jones type of rookie season. The NFL was very high on Kenny Pickett. We weren't, but there's a good chance that we're wrong. We're not NFL scouts. Maybe he is you know, just the greatest work ethic quarterback prospect that people have ever seen, and he's just going to be really prepared for every game, which could you know, help, help him play above his talent level. We, we really don't know. But Deontay Johnson, the only thing I will say, devil's advocate to what you kind of just said, is that Big Ben did throw an, a lot of passes last year. And the pass attempts uh, volume of the Steelers offense could go down. With Najee in his second year and a rookie quarterback, they might opt to run the ball a little bit more. But their run blocking line still stinks. It's not like it's going to be really efficient when they do that. So they're going to have to lean on the pass to some degree for the most part. So uh, let's move on uh, to the final tier of guys, which is the Win Now veterans. These guys are immediate. Like you're in a Win Now yeah. contending window if you have them on your roster. Twenty nine plus year old wide receivers, Cooper Cup and Devonte Adams lead. The charge here, Cooper Cup, wide receiver four, 18th overall per keep trade cut, wide receiver one, second overall on underdog fantasy. The tough thing with Cooper Cup is just how high he's going in startups right now. He immediately forces you to build a win now roster by round two, which is the reason I don't end up with a lot of Cooper Cup when we do mock drafts or when we do an actual draft. If you already have Cup on your roster, just thank God that you picked him last year or you picked him in uh, years previous. I'm not necessarily selling Cooper Cup if I'm winning now but I'm likely not going to draft him in a new startup because of his price. Uh, The appeal is obviously really simple. 160 target floor, to be honest, coming from a likely MVP candidate quarterback. Quarterback this year uh, with a featured role in the red zone as well. He is easily one of the safest redraft picks that you can make. If you don't want to take a risk on Najee Harris, Austin Eckler, Derek Henry, whatever redraft running back you're looking at, just draft Cooper Cup. By drafting a 29-year-old wide receiver in Dynasty, over foundational pieces like AJ Brown, Trey Lance, Brees Hall, DK Metcalf, Jalen Waddle, not something I'm willing to do in a startup. It, those guys keep me more flexible. Yeah, I'm sacrificing year one production, but I mean AJ Brown realistically is probably only going to get outscored by Cooper Cup by you know five, six, seven points per game at most, and AJ Brown could still have a twenty plus point per game season, and he's you know five years younger than Cooper Cup.
1: Yeah, and with Cooper Cup, he's a guy you know if you're in a startup you you don't you don't pay that price like at all like top. 20 overall pick on a 29 year old receiver. I mean I get it he technically turns 29 in 12 days but for 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 purpose sake he's going to be 29 by the time the season starts. So he's in the age 29 bucket but yeah I mean you know him and it's kind of funny because I mean the player we're going to talk next goes 14 picks after him and to put it simply I mean if I'm going to talk about the 32nd overall player evaluated on Keep Trade Cut versus the 18th overall evaluated player and they both kind of present you know elite production, despite not having, you know, long-term appreciable value, I'm always going to take the one at cost, which again, we'll transition to in a second. But yeah, Cooper Cup, redraft perspective, no qualms, it's just his current dynasty valuation in startups immediately makes you into a win now contender right off the bat, which is not what we like to do. We want to keep flexibility. We want to maintain flexibility. And again, you kind of said it, if you had the choice between, you know, CeeDee Lamb or AJ Brown or, you know, T Higgins versus Cooper Cup, I know where I'm going 100 times of the 100, especially if I am in a startup. And I kind of mentioned the guy going 30-second overall, but Devontae Adams, wide receiver, 11, 30-second overall via keep trade cut. Wide receiver, 5, 11.5 overall on underdog fantasy. And do I really need to say anything about what Devontae Adams kind of represents? I mean, he's arguably the top overall talent at wide receiver and has three top two point-per-game finishes at the wide receiver position in the last four years. Three top two, the last four years. He's posted over a 29% target share in each of the last four years. And obviously, again, the, the main elephant in the room here, the main caveat that a lot of people have with Devontae Adams right now is that he was indeed traded to the Las Vegas Raiders this offseason. But Derek Carr is a more than good enough quarterback, a top 12-ish type of quarterback in the NFL that is able to suffice to able to able support an elite rec- receiver like Devontae Adams. And the move kind of resulted in him, and read it out to put it simply, being the easiest smash one-two pick, one-two turn pick I've seen in a while. Like in redraft, again, well, this is a dynasty video, but if you're in redraft and you can lead your first two rounds with like DeAndre Swift and Devontae Adams or uh Devontae Adams and you know Stefan Diggs, like you should be clamoring for the bit at that. Production wise, no issue. I have no qualms with Devontae Adams. He's gonna be a locked and loaded top five wide receiver for me. He's gonna be a locked and loaded top five wide receiver in fantasy yet again this year. But the problem that again, him and Cup kind of represents is age. Like if they have a down year, we could be talking about a Julio Jones level dissension in value, which is not the type of asset I kind of want to commit to. Again, 32nd overall, I'm able to stomach that. You know, you you build for the first two rounds, you have a win now type of structure team, you know. Let's say you leave your first few rounds with like Dak Prescott, DeAndre Swift, and you want to say, okay, you know what? I'll add an elite receiver to this group. No issues with that. It's just when you're comparing a 32nd overall pick versus an 18th overall pick, give me Devontae Adams that cost all day, every day over Cooper Cup.
0: Yeah, I think with both of these guys, I'm much more likely to go four, five, six rounds of not knowing if I'm competing or rebuilding and smashing yeah. Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas, Mike Evans, Allen Robinson in the mid rounds rather than draft these guys. And these guys are definitely gonna be better from a redraft perspective. But if, if Keenan Allen outscores Devontae Adams next year, are we going to be like totally stunned? Probably not. I, I think there's a there's a case that definitely. he could do it. So I would rather get the four, five, six round discount on those guys, um, then draft some of these older veterans. Um, I'm much more likely to trade for these guys than I am to draft them in a startup. If yes. I'm looking towards competing and pushing my chips to the middle or something like that.
1: Yes. Like that, that is the difference here because in a startup, like if I don't know any other information about my league, about my team at that 32nd overall click just yet, I would rather, you know, either trade down or take, you know, um,
0: DK Metcalf or DK Caleb Metcalf. Wattler, or like exactly.
1: That. If you are in a competing window, if your team is ready to win now, you can make that upgrade. You want to give up, you know, a first round pick and a young receiver and go get Devontae Adams at that point because you think you have a realistic chance to win the championship, by all means. But taking him at the startup before you even know realistically what your league landscape is going to look like is just a bad investment, given the fact that even if Devontae Adams has Devontae Adams level season next year, does he even raise in valuation? Like does he even go up and start a value? because I don't think there's really a case, because people are going to say, 30-year-old receiver, I'm not taking him in the top 25 picks of my startup. So if he has no case, no bull case to appreciate and value into that top 25, given the fact that he's already the 32nd overall player, and it's all downside risk, you have to be contending. You have to be in a position where that production is going to outweigh that future value loss that Devontae Adams represents. Same with Cooper Cup.
0: Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's just really hard for me to pull the trigger on them in a startup just because of that, that you lose that flexibility factor. So um, if you guys did enjoy this video, again, we broke down, I think it was like eight foundational wide receivers, three um, in their prime wide receivers, two contending veteran wide receivers. Uh, hit the like button, comment any of your thoughts down below, subscribe to the channel if you are new. If you want access to all of our Dynasty wide receiver rankings available in our Dynasty rankings manifesto, you can get access to that one of two ways, either by joining us over on Patreon, patreon.com, forward slash fantasy stock exchange, or you can sign up and deposit using the promo code FSE on underdogfantasy.com. You get a lot of practice for your redraft league, your main redraft league that I'm sure you guys all have. Um, underdog fantasy is the best place to prepare for that. No season, uh, no, uh, season long management. You just draft the team, get a lot of practice, uh, real money leagues to get you sharp ADP to be over prepared. to be honest, by the time you get to your actual redraft league. So if that interests you, You sign up on Underdog, get 100% back on whatever you put in. You'll get our Dynasty Rankings Manifesto totally for free. So uh, with that being said, peace out. We'll talk to you soon.